I did not feel that I could trust myself in my first pregnancy. And looking back, if I only did trust myself, I really think some things could have turned out differently. I think I would have made the decisions that feel more aligned with me. You're listening to the Well Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Gemma Lee, women's menstrual cycle educator, natural fertility coach, and daytime mermaid. This is a place where we discuss all things periods, poo, ovulation, fertility, and sex. Join me weekly as we rediscover our menstrual cycles, unlock its superpowers, and guide you back into your cyclical nature. Welcome back to the Well Woman podcast. This is our pregnancy series where we are diving into all topics and conversations that you were going to want to know when you're pregnant or wish you had known or are going to look forward to and be thankful that you now know. And this is part five. Today we are talking about food cravings, staying nutritionally balanced while pregnant with Lindsay Taylor. Now this is such, I'm so grateful that Lindsay took the time to join us for this because she is just wait till you hear her. She, The way she explains everything, you are going to absolutely love it. Now, Lindsay believes in the power of food to help us live our best life. She also believes no one is more deserving of feeling good than mothers and mothers-to-be. She has a master's degree in public health, a certification as a postpartum and infant care doula, and an honors certification as a culinary nutrition expert. She has a great background in nutritional science and is into real food, real world, and practical solutions solutions to help modern mums feel supported, nourished, and energized. She is known online as the food doula. Literally go check her out. She's on Instagram, the.food.doula. And in this episode, we are really talking about the essential micronutrients that are really needed for pregnancy and women and supporting both the woman, the mother, and the baby. We talk about the fact that there's a list of certain micronutrients that our body actually needs 50% more of when we're pregnant. We also talk about cravings. We have a beautiful discussion about cravings, why we get cravings, what we can do to support them, that it's more than just the food alone. There's a whole bunch of understanding your mindset, your approach, and your understanding of the food itself. I I share a few of my own tips and what I've been doing throughout my own pregnancy to support me too. And then at the end, she wraps it up with some of the most simplistic tips that I'm going to take, I am taking on board now. Let's just face that. And I can't wait for you to hear them. So enjoy this episode. Make sure you take a few notes because I know I was ferociously typing notes when she was talking and I trust you're going to enjoy it because I know I had such a beautiful time chatting to Lindsay and recording this for you. Lindsay, welcome to the Well Woman podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here with you. It is a thrill. And when I found you online, knowing that you are the food doula, I was like, oh my God, this is the type of person we need to come and join us for the pregnancy series. So thank you so much for being here. Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks again for asking me. Mm, It's such such a privilege. So thank you. And I think it's really great to explore this topic when it comes to to food and postpartum and then also pregnancy and then leading into pregnancy because with food, it's just a whole nother ball game, right? When we get to that part of our experience of becoming a mother or transitioning to parenthood. But before we get into all of these juicy topics, tell us who is Lindsay Taylor from Canada and how did you become known as the food doula? 
Yeah, it's quite a journey. And it's so funny because I don't think I would have taken the path that I took to get where I am now if I didn't sort of had a li- have a little bit of heart-led recklessness because where I started in my career was I was a health researcher for 10 years. And that I learned so much from that, but my passion in that work was always, how do we take this research and actually use it? Because I was seeing so many people and I was a health behavior change specialist, meaning if someone wanted to change their behavior, whether that's working out or an addiction or their food, we've all been through that. And we know it's so much harder than it seems. So my expertise was always, how do we hack that? How do we make that a little bit easier so that we can succeed, feel good about ourselves and lead healthier lives? And so when I became pregnant and I was in this work, I got absolutely floored when I went to the research and looked up nutrition for pregnancy. And I was also floored when I had conversations with my health provider, my doctor at the time, when I was trying to sort of combine the information they gave me about nutrition for pregnancy, what my body needed, not just foods to avoid, but how do I feel better? How do I fuel my body for this unique time where I feel totally different. I'm on a whole different level. I have this baby that I want to support. What type of nutrition do I need? And I wasn't really getting anything from her. And then seeing the research and realizing there's so much here, but at that time, I really didn't know how to put it into practice with the reality of how I was feeling. Nausea, exhaustion. And I felt so bad about myself. I really felt a lot of failure and a lot of guilt. And what that told me was if I'm feeling like this, I'm not the only one. And so that part of me that was like, it doesn't matter what the research says. If none of us know how to use it, it really made me pivot. And at that time I quit my job. I was like, no, this is what I'm going to do. Dug into the research on nutrition, became a doula, spent lots of time with other families. And again, that was such heart-led work. And it really allowed me to pair my experience with the existence of lots of other women. And I realized we need to make this make sense, make this work for real life. So I dedicated myself to that. So now I really talk about what things are doable, what's practical, what are some nutrition goals that actually work for that pregnancy or postpartum experience where maybe your capacity isn't the way that it always is, but you still want to do what you can each and every day and feel good about yourself. And so I have a cookbook that I put out that's on that exact topic. Now I train other perinatal providers to really understand how to talk about nutrition, how to learn about it, because it's a huge gap in our um, system when it comes to perinatal professionals. And so now I get to do this day in, day out. And I just absolutely love the work. What a transition. What a dramatic shift, right? To go from all of this research to being like, present postpartum, like such a big chalk and cheese change. And I think it just goes to show that hence, you know, when you go through your personal, like your own experience, becoming a mother, birthing a baby, transitioning, like that is such a rebirth for everybody. And we all come out a different, like I am never going to be the menarch version of myself that I once was pre-pregnancy. Right. And so same with you. So Thank you for sharing how you got here. And I love how you said putting what you know into practice is very different based on how you actually feel in the moment. And I feel that's where there's a lot of education going on around 
okay, I know I need to eat plant-based that's good for me and close to nature and organic meats and eat lots of protein, but I also want to buff everything up. And all yeah. I'm craving is ice cream and chocolate right now. I also kind of think that's part of stereotype society telling us that's what we need to eat. But anyway, very, very different. So let's jump into the topic around what's important for us to actually eat whilst we are pregnant. Because in Australia, anyway, I feel like it's like take a prenatal multivitamin and you'll get everything you need and you just carry on with your life and just eat what you can get through the day. And whilst that's important to get through the day too, there's so much more, right, that the body needs and the baby needs. And I've even been blown away through my own personal journey. And so I'd love to hear from you. Like, what is the foundations of nutrition for pregnancy that's different for us pre-pregnancy and the the life we had before pregnancy? Yeah. And like you said, the common trend that we hear from people who are pregnant when they go to their health providers is, oh, as long as I take a prenatal multivitamin supplement, my needs are covered. And so the first piece is that's not accurate at all. We would have to take like 25 capsules a day to meet all of our prenatal nutrition needs. And the way that I like to explain it is if you picture building your healthy baby with nutrition, like baking a cake, it's going to be the foods that we get from all of our meals, all of our snacks, day in, day out for nine months, that really bakes the cake. And then our supplements are like the icing. They're really just there to fill in the gaps, to make everything look pretty. They're like the finishing touch. So because that's the case, and because honestly, we just don't know enough about nutrition to even make a supplement that would cover all of our needs because foods and nutrients work together synergistically in a way in nature that we haven't been able to replicate in when it comes to science, which is just some of that wisdom that we need to remember. Food is is our primary need. Um, so we're often told key nutrients that we need. So maybe our health provider has talked to us about folate or iron, or maybe we've heard we need some more calories or some protein when it comes to pregnancy. But the reality is that we need a lot more than that. There are some micronutrients that double in terms of how much we need in our pregnancy compared to beforehand, or we need 50% more. And I think it's a real shame that we don't really do a good job of educating our pregnant women on what those needs are, because it feels really bad to feel like we don't have the information we need to know. And that's something that I felt in my pregnancy. I felt like I didn't know what I didn't know, and I didn't know where to start. So the way that I like to talk to clients about this is it's not effective if I walked through, say, like 32 different micro nutrients and told you all the things that you needed that would just go in one ear and out the other. We wouldn't be able to practice anything. So where I like to start is talk about a few key micronutrients that are going to make a difference and move the needle. So there's some micronutrients where the vast majority of pregnant women are not getting enough. And then when we look to the research, we see that impact is huge. So if you were to prioritize just that one nutrient, you would be supporting better outcomes for yourself and your baby. So a couple of those are like the nutrient choline, which is a B vitamin that about 95% of pregnant women aren't getting enough of. And it's really important. It's involved in 
gene expression. It's involved in the health of our placenta. It's involved in our baby's neurodevelopment. So we see babies from mothers who have more choline in their diet have better outcomes when it comes to their neurodevelopment later in life. So things like their rates of executive functioning in their brain, neurodevelopmental disorders and attention, focus, all of those pieces. And so the best way that you can get more choline in your diet is to add eggs. So that's one of my favorite foods for pregnancy. If you look for ways to add eggs, whether for breakfast, whether you add extra when you're making some muffins, do like a fried rice with lots of veggies for dinner. One of my favorite ways to use leftovers is to just heat it up and add an egg, right? Automatically it's different. It tastes delicious. And we're getting more of that really essential nutrient that's usually dosed very, very low in prenatal multivitamins. So that's another reason to focus on that one. Another one that I want to talk about is minerals. So there's some minerals in pregnancy where we do need double. We need lots more. So things like iodine, also magnesium and zinc. And my favorite way to get these minerals in your diet is to look at your snacks. So let's say in your snack platter, you could add something like some beautiful, colorful vegetables and even some sea veggies to get that iodine. Or maybe what you like to do is build a smoothie every day. So I like to say, let's make a magnesium boost smoothie. So we can add in things like avocado or spinach, maybe some nut butter are really good sources of magnesium and zinc. We're going to get some pumpkin seeds in there. And then all we have to do is make that one smoothie every single day. And we can check mark some of those really essential minerals that our body needs in order to A, help us feel better. So something like magnesium is related to lower uh, acid reflux, pregnancy headaches, exhaustion, pretty much all the things that make us feel terrible magnesium can help with. And the research shows us that magnesium can also support lowering our medical complications. So things like risk of preeclampsia or gestational diabetes can also be supported through some of these minerals. So it's about how can we do the least in the time that we have and how we're feeling and impact ourselves and our babies and the way we feel to the highest degree. I was going to ask you what nutrients. I'm so glad you brought this up. And it just makes me think of the moments in time. And if you're yet to experience a pregnancy to birth, there's moments in pregnancy where you're just like clawing your way out of bed and you know that you need to eat, even though you don't know what to eat or that you don't feel like you can eat. You still like, I still have to fucking eat because if I don't eat, then I'm not getting the nutrients. Then my baby's not getting the nutrients. And then we're all just depleted, right? And I love that you mentioned about the 50% more because I know that in the world that we live in today, most women are magnesium deficient anyway, prior to pregnancy. Then you throw pregnancy on and then you're like, whoa, we've got a whole nother ball game here. And these are really great tips. I love the smoothie tip, something I'm actually really enjoying because part of being trained in Ayurveda and Ayurvedic nutrition is, you know, keeping a digestive system fire warm and so reducing smoothies. Now I live in a very hot climate. So having smoothies is quite, oh my God, I'm fucking hot. I just want to have a smoothie, right? But with my normal cycle, I might only do that around my ovulation time. Whereas now I'm like, I can do a smoothie every day and this feels fantastic. So I love that tip. Also, it's so easy. If you don't know what to do, you just chuck it in a blender and let the blender do the magic, right? And if it's not working, just add some honey. Whatever doesn't work or doesn't just add honey, right? It's just like, as long as it's good quality honey, just add honey. But are there any other nutrients that come under the 50% depletion or the 50% more that we need? Because I was really surprised, Lindsay, about calcium. Yeah. And 
I, you know, I personally take a high dose of magnesium and calcium and a lot of these minerals before even being pregnant, just for general health. But when I heard about the calcium, I was like, of course, my body is growing. What is it? Roughly like 600 bones or something for the baby. Plus also my preparing my own bones and shifting my own pelvis and my own skeletal structure to account for a baby. Of course, I'm going to need more. So what can you share about calcium? Because that blew my mind. And I think people just think, oh, I get calcium just from drinking milk. Right. Yeah. Calcium is another big one. And I think it's great that you brought it up because that's so relatable. We're all like, we're fine. We get lots of calcium. We eat dairy or whatever it is. But like you said, in pregnancy, we are building an entire skeletal system. Think of baby's teeth, think of baby's bones. And calcium is another one that we really do need enough to reduce risk, especially preeclampsia. So our hypertensive disorders of pregnancy are supported by us having enough preg- uh, enough calcium there and not just for baby, because if we don't have enough calcium to build a brand new human, our body will always choose the baby. So that means it could come at the expense of our own bones, our own skeletal system, and we don't want that. So in pregnancy, especially as you come towards exactly where you are, coming towards the third trimester of pregnancy, that's when the calcification occurs. So baby's bones are, are they're there, they're there early on in pregnancy, but they're not actually calcified, meaning it's the end of pregnancy where your demand of calcium really starts to be incredibly important. So some of the ways you can get calcium is, of course, you can get it through dairy products, but some of my other sources that I love because they also have some of the other nutrients who need lots of is things like canned salmon with the tiny little bones for our DHA, lots of protein, great fats in there. We can have our something like tahini. Sesame seeds, which is basically what tahini is made out of, is a very high source of calcium. So you can use tahini any way you would use, like a peanut butter or an almond butter. You can add it to smoothies. You can add it to soups. You can make dips out of it. You can do so many different things. We can also do our leafy greens. We can add things like almonds on top of anything we're eating just as a finishing touch, just like you can do for sesame seeds. So we want to do that as often as possible, especially in the third trimester. Great tip. I love Tahiti. And I think people get so like caught up on like the great nut butters that are available out there, but Tahiti is often really, really missed. Now, for people who don't know, you can get black Tahiti and you can get white. Well, it's not white. It's kind of like beige Tahiti, but what's the difference or would you recommend hulled or unhulled? Because I find I get asked this question quite a lot because it they kind of like, isn't it the same freaking thing? So is there a difference with the amount of calcium or the nutritional profile between hold and unhold and the processing between the two? Yeah. So at the end of the day, I think whatever you can get, let's start there. Whatever is practical for you. If you already have something in your fridge, it's the only thing that's available at your store. I would rather you have it. When it comes to basically all foods, when we, whenever we can have them as close to their most whole form as possible, so meaning they're still whole, the seed is still there, the husk is still there, depending on what we're talking about, we typically are going to have more of that nutrient, more of that fiber. But at the end of the day, I just want you to have this beautiful food in your diet and use it in a way that you find delicious. Because that's the main thing. If we don't find it yummy, we're never going to eat it. One of my go-tos at the moment, which is a coincidence that I'm in my six month of pregnancy is medjool dates cut in half, seeded, stuffed with tahini 
And then if I need to, melted chocolate on top, you know, and then in that melted chocolate, you can put cinnamon or chili or salt or whatever you want. So, so easy just to get a few extra, you know, things. Now you mentioned about essential fatty acids and fat. So I know there's a bit of, I don't want to call it a conspiracy, but there's a bit of discussion in the pregnancy world about, well, you know, essential fatty acids are really, really important. But then when you get closer towards birth, maybe you don't have too many fats because we don't want to, you know, thin the blood or whatever it might be. So what's your outlook on that? Because if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, okay, I just want to get as much nutrients as possible. Is that something they need to be concerned about? Yes, absolutely. I would say hands down when I work with clients one-to-one, one of the top things I'm looking at in their diet is where we at with those essential fatty acids, especially our omega-3, DHA, and EPA, which primarily we're getting in fatty fish. And not everybody likes fatty fish in pregnancy. Not everybody can tolerate it. So it is a really big one to look at. And the reason we need lots of those types of fats and the reason why we need more of them in pregnancy is because we're really building our baby's brain with these fats. Our brains are primarily made up of fats and so is baby's brain. And we have great research showing that mothers who have more DHA and EPA in pregnancy, similar to choline, have babies that grow up to have better social, behavioral, and neurodevelopment. So lower rates of things like ADHD, better focus, better memory, all of those things. It's really, really critical. And it's also critical, just like with calcium, to get enough to protect our own brains and our own mental health. So if we get more in pregnancy, we are at a lower risk of perinatal mood disorders like postpartum depression. So that's one of the really key ways we can protect ourselves. So the best way to get more of those fats in your diet is to have fish like salmon, sardines are really our easiest, best two choices, but all fatty fish are a wonderful choice in terms of those fats. If you don't eat fish, Definitely a DHA EPA supplement is going to be important. Eating things like eggs that do have some DHA in them are beautiful. Nuts and seeds are great for omega-3, but they po- they convert very poorly to DHA and EPA. So as many of those fatty fish or a supplement, that's critical. And in terms of whether or not to sort of pull back at the end of the third trimester, It's true that omega-3s do thin the blood. I just actually had some treatment at a dermatologist last week and she was like, no omega-3s, like don't, don't, we don't want that happening right now. But there's no research to really suggest at this point that that's a concern in pregnancy. And in fact, I would say the opposite is true. It's in that third trimester, especially at the end where the amount of DHA that is put down in baby's brain just like with calcium starts to really escalate. That's when we need it the most. And it's almost hard. It's something like 63 uh, milligrams of DHA needs to be transferred to baby's brain every single day at the end of pregnancy. So I would say, don't pull back on that. Yeah. We need to prioritize it. That's the most critical time. We need those fats. It's so important to highlight. Thank you so much for that because we often forget, like we think, I'm 37. So all my life, I've just been fueling and nurturing my body with nutrition. And now I'm like, oh, that's right. I'm growing two kidneys and I have two stomachs and then I have four lungs right now and I have two brains. You know, technically we could say four brains if you think the gut's a brain and the list goes on and it wasn't. so true. It's right. Right. And it was, it's funny. We've only done, we've chosen only do one scan in our pregnancy, which was our midway point scan. And I really chose to do that because we are electing to intentionally birth at home. 
And I wanted to know where my placenta was placed, you know, in my uterus. And so that was the number one reason why I wanted to do it. Now, my partner just wanted to see the baby and get a good photo. But I was blown away by looking at the sonographer screen and going, oh, my God, there's a brain and there's all the parts of the brain and there's a heart and then there's lungs and there's, oh, that's why I've been so fucking depleted for so long. Yes. Like I'm trying to run my own body, let alone grow all of these that's from right. one to two cells and then the process of mitosis has just gone through the roof, right? And I, I you're going to laugh at this, but I've said to my partner a couple of times in the early stages of pregnancy, it just feels like there is a leech in my body and I have nothing left. It is just yes. sucking me dry. He's like, don't so true. maybe a leech, but it is, right? That's exactly, I mean, I hate to say it, but I totally agree with you. That's exactly what's happening. That's exactly what is meant to happen. We will preferentially transport everything that we have to this baby, which, you know, comforts us as mothers, like, okay, like if I'm not feeling well and I don't feel like I'm getting in tons of nutrition, it is great to know that your body will preferentially transport what you have to baby. And also, by the way, your body is brilliant. You start to change the way you metabolize food in pregnancy so that you absorb more nutrition from your food compared to any other time in your life. Like your body has your back. So if you're having a bad day, like there is a little bit of a security net there, but you're right. Like really the baby is, is leaching all that beautiful goodness that you have. Oh, I can't wait to tell him again, but it also makes me like, you bring up such a good point about the amplification of absorbency when it comes to nutrients, because when we talk about food, most people will just talk about the focus of, okay, are you getting this kind of nutrient? Are you taking a prenatal? Have you made sure that you're getting this, this, and this? And I think there's not enough talk about what else we shouldn't be getting. Like, so for example, what's coming to mind for me is that if you've got double the absorbency or potentially even more through pregnancy, what about the food that has phytochemicals in it or preservatives or additives or, you know, or the whole list of things, because there is hundreds, thousands, up to thousands now of all of these manufactured goods and working from food manufacturing. I've seen them all and raw form and they're not pretty. Right. Yes. It's really like people don't realize that that's also being absorbed at a higher rate and impacting you and your baby. And I, yeah, it's, do you have anything you want to add into that little spiel before we, we move on? No, I just think that that's a great perspective and we could get bogged down and really fearful about that. Like, oh goodness, I don't want to pass any of these things to my baby. So staying focused on what can you do, right? You, there's no such thing as eating perfectly in pregnancy. That should never be a goal, but what can you do today? Can you make one more meal at home? this week? Can you cook with some extra vegetables? So some great research that shows when you have more food folate, like not from a supplement, but from real vegetables, plants, it has a protective factor in stopping your body from being damaged by things like environmental contaminants. So what's one thing that you can do more of as opposed to worrying about what you need to do less of? I think when we focus on that, we stay in a really positive mind frame around food and that's really going to serve us well. Mm, like, can we add one more protein? Can we add a new color to the, the or a new taste or a new flavor or a new herb? Love that. Exactly. I do want to talk about cravings, but before we go there, I know there's a lot of mixed thoughts on having fish during pregnancy 
especially salmon, if it's smoked salmon, having eggs during pregnancy. Now, I really believe in trusting your intuition. And I'm like, if I'm fucking craving eggs, I am eating eggs. If I want salmon, I'm happy to eat salmon. Now, I've been eating all the things that most people would say you shouldn't be eating during pregnancy. But I really trust that my body is guiding me to a food based on the need of the food, not necessarily the emotional need of the craving of the food. So before we get into cravings to segue, if someone's thinking like you mentioned about fats, having, you know, sardines and high quality salmon and potentially even having canned salmon with the bones, which is delicious, by the way, what is your outlook or your feedback to clients when they're like, oh, but my doctor said this. And you're like, yeah, but you also really need it too. So what's your feedback on that? I love this because I think what we really need is context because we feel so much fear when really we're only having one third of the conversation, which is what is the risk if you eat this food that may have a higher risk of being contaminated with a foodborne illness, right? If it's a soft cheese or if it's runny eggs or it's sushi or whatever it is, that's only 30% of the conversation. The other two thirds that we need to talk about is, okay, so that's the risk and and things have changed. Our risk of foodborne illness is really, really low for most of those foods. The next one is what's our risk if we don't eat it, which throws people for a loop. They're like, what do you mean? Tell me more. And I mean, well, if you're in your first trimester and you can't tolerate any of your usual proteins, but you intuitively are craving soft cheese, runny eggs, raw fish, deli meats. And that's the only thing that you can have for protein. And it's either that or nothing. I would rather you get those nutrients that your body needs, particularly at a time where if you don't have those nutrients, we might be looking at risks of other things. And then the third piece of the conversation I think is really what other value do they bring? Like, what are the benefits? Because some of those foods are incredibly high in nutrients. Some of those foods may be incredibly accessible to you. Some of those foods might be your favorite foods that bring you the most pleasure. They may be cultural foods that you've been eating your entire life that are your comfort foods, the things that you crave, even if you're not feeling well. So I think we really need to include all of those things and understand that they all have a piece of that puzzle when we're talking about food risks and pregnancy. Mm, and the risks not to is a, is a fantastic question. You know, it's kind of like dating, like what's the risk of going on the date versus the risk of not going on the date? You know, like, what do you, like, what is it that you potentially aren't experiencing by not going? And when you yes. bring that into food, it's great. And I think some people, like you mentioned fear and there is So, excuse my language, Lindsay, but there is so much fucking fear in the world of conception, pregnancy, pre-birth, birth, birth, postpartum, and then parenthood, like projected fear too. And the question is always like, is this really my belief or is this someone else's belief that's making me question my ability of doing something? Love that. So what are the benefits is a great, like, yeah, couldn't set it better. I love that topic. So let's talk about cravings because you mentioned about like, well, in that first trimester, like if you are craving those types of foods, me, I've been dairy free for eight years and I, and also meat with feet free for roughly like 12 years. And I knew leading into conception that having animal proteins is really important. So I prepped myself in the lead up to conception, like slowly introducing some things. So I knew what was going to benefit my digestive system and I didn't eat those foods 
because of how my digestive system felt, not for ethical reasons. So I was like, okay, how can I support and prepare for this? That was part of my preconception stuff. But I went into like, I want some soft cheeses and I want feta and I want to, you know, I had to buy this stuff and be like to my partner, do not eat this. This is not for you. Like if I want this in four days time and the whole thing is gone, I'm going to lose my shit, you know, and I don't want to have to do that. So interesting with like trusting your body with the cravings. Let's talk about cravings. Why do we get cravings in pregnancy? What's your outlook on cravings? And do you have any guidance or support for cravings? Yeah, I love this topic. I think there's so many different ways we can talk about cravings and there's been research on this. There's been research on what what is happening? Why are we craving these foods? Is it hormone changes? Is it that we are intuitively knowing what baby needs or what our body needs for the stage of pregnancy? Is it adaptive changes, right, that have come up to protect that baby, that growing baby. So there's really been no confirmation in terms of research. Like there's no proof really that any of those things are true, but I think that doesn't necessarily mean that they aren't. Something that I find, two things, I'll say two things that I find very, very interesting is in research, they've actually asked women, what is the reason for your cravings? Like what's the number one reason that you would say is contributing to your craving. The number one thing that women have said is because I'm not allowed because there's restriction, which is a really interesting psychological thing that we know to be true around food. And these restrictions are coming either self-imposed or they're restrictions placed on the pregnant woman from her care provider. And we know that in food, when something is taboo or we tell ourselves, I'm not allowed to have it, it immediately triggers the brain to tell us we want it more. So that that's just a truth. We know that in science. So what I'd like to say is we need to reframe, right? It, pregnancy doesn't have to be this situation where so many things are disallowed. So instead, if we have a craving and we're thinking like, I just really want ice cream or chocolate or any of these things that... It's, it's not a, you don't have to indulge mindlessly and feel bad about it later. You could actually make a conscious decision and label it, right? I'm craving this. Take a minute. Why, why am I craving this? Do I just really want that flavor? Was it a hard day at work today? Am I just feeling exhausted and super pregnant? Like without judgment, just taking a minute to be conscious in that craving, see if you can label it and then make that decision. Like, am I going to have it or not? Like there's no right or wrong. If yes, take the time to actually enjoy it, right? Stay conscious in it because we have, we have all been sort of trained to do things that we think are quote unquote bad with food and not really think about it and feel bad later. And we don't need that shame. So enjoy it. Stay in the moment. If you're done, you're done. You can move on. That's okay. And then the other piece of cravings that I think is really, really interesting is if you look at the common cravings, there are things like fruit, fruit juice, things like pub food, like chips, fries, chicken wings, chicken strips, all those things, milk, dairy products, pickles. What all of those commonly craved foods have in common is they're all very high in salt 
and minerals. So I don't know if there's research that has looked at that specifically, but I believe that there's definitely something to that. And we know that restricting salt is not evidence-based, but so many people are still told this and practice this. So it may be that you need more salt. It may be that you need more minerals and, and it's okay to enjoy those foods. Such amazing points. And I love what you mentioned about the restriction because if you tell the kid that they can't have the cookie, all they're going to want and ask for is multiple cookies, not just one cookie anymore. Now it's like, I'll have the whole pack, please. That's right. I think when we become adults, all of a sudden we have this extra ability to have our own money to purchase what we want when we want it. And so it's no longer like, oh, we can't get the chocolate because mom didn't buy the chocolates. Now, well, I've got all the money and the whole chocolate aisle to purchase from. So where am I going to spend my money? And I think the it's the restriction that's really, really big. And if you take a toy away from a dog, all the dog wants is the toy. It's the same thing. It's a very animal instinct, animal nature. And I love that you brought that up because a lot of the the times cravings are restrictive regardless of whether we're pregnant or we're not. But something that you mentioned about the craving that I think really could do a lot of healing for a lot of people, and this isn't even gender specific, is enjoying the food that you crave instead of trying to hide the fact that you craved the food and that you, in inverted brackets, shouldn't be eating it. So you stuff your face with it in the cupboard or, you know, quickly in the car so no one sees you instead of actually like, excuse the language, Lindsay, but masticating the fuck out of that food. So you just get this whole body experience, right? That's right. And if you do that, you're not alone. And it is, it really isn't your fault. We have been trained by all these messages, conscious, unconscious messages through diet culture our entire lives. So it's a learned behavior that we have around foods that we assign the label bad, shameful that we're eating this. So we do exactly what you said. We kind of hide, we'll eat it in our car. We'll like hide the wrappers or we'll, we'll be like, oh, it's my, it's my TV snack. Like we'll, we'll do, we'll make excuses out of that guilt when you really don't need to. A food is just a food. If you're craving it, if it's just because you want it, that is good enough. That is reason enough. You can enjoy that. And actually you will feel healthier, eat less of that food if you stay in that sort of power of I'm owning this, I'm enjoying it. And then I'm just moving on with my life. You will feel better mentally. You will feel better physically and your nutrition will actually be better too. If you have sort of that sense of neutrality in, in your food choices. And so powerful too, to learn that. And you can relearn food habits regardless of your age bracket. Like it's so, so possible. Now let's talk about taste. Now you mentioned salt. I definitely know I went through a salt phase and I was like, oh, I need more minerals. That's That was how I was looking at it. But being trained in Ayurveda, I'm very aware of the six tastes. And so I've been practicing prior to pregnancy of like, oh, I'm having a craving. What is the taste that I'm craving here? Is this sweet food? Is it astringent? Is it, you know, spicy? And I think that's been very helpful for me throughout the transition of pregnancy. Instead of being attached to the type of food it was, it was, okay, well, I can eat anything that's salty or I can eat anything that's sweet or anything that's spicy. Definitely went through a pickles phase. My partner is a condiments man and he was very happy when he came home from a a work trip and was like, what are all these new condiments that we have? I was like, do not eat these. These are for me. Like I want to be able to come and have a pickle in two days when I want, when I need a pickle. So 
let's talk about the tastes and how we transition through those tastes in pregnancy. Do you know much about that? A little bit. And I think that that is a great combination of our discussion that we just had about staying conscious and taking a minute and reflecting. So I agree with you. The other thing we can reflect on, like sort of why do I think this craving is coming up is like, what is this craving? And instead of thinking through that specific food, as you mentioned, like, let's explore that a little bit. Is it that I want something sweet? I want something salty, exactly like you just said. And then what are some options when you sort of refine it that way, when you sort of broaden? And, you know, I've definitely experienced that for a long time. I thought, in my pregnancies and around my cycle, I would think like all I want, all I can survive on is salt and vinegar chips. Like that is the only thing I need. And then working on it, sort of exploring exactly what you just said, it really became the case to me that it's like, I just need salt. I just need minerals. And now actually intuitively, I don't crave chips anymore. I always will go get like a Vietnamese soup or like something that's got a lot of broth and is salty, but also super nourishing. And so we really can train our brains that way. And we do see that happen in the natural course of pregnancy. Something like salt, we see salt cravings increase as pregnancy progresses, which is really interesting because there's a whole bunch of changes happening with our fluid. And, you know, we're getting up to pee so many times at night. Like that makes total sense. And then earlier on in pregnancy, when you're pregnant, yes. a whole parent yes. experience. Sorry about It you. really is. It really, really is. And then earlier in pregnancy, we see that we want more sweet things. Of course, we want more like anything that is a carbohydrate, right? That's like kind of our uh, in with the sweet foods. And so that is a natural, normal part of pregnancy physiology. So again, things that we would sometimes ascribe guilt to, it helps to know it's so normal. You're not alone. That really is part of that pregnancy progression. And I think also just acknowledging that you are not the the controller of your ship anymore. Like, I think that's yeah. a really big thing. Like I've continually had to remind myself, I forget to, don't worry, but reminding myself, oh, that's right. How I've always eaten is different now because my needs are different and they're not my needs. They're the baby's needs. I just, I'm second place all of a sudden. And right. You're along for the ride. <laughs> totally. I'm just here for, you know, the delivery. That's it. You know, like, but it's interesting. I think people really forget that you, you're you not in control anymore and it's that part of surrender. And I'm a big fan, Lindsay, of what you comes up for you and the challenges you experience in your pregnancy are preparing you mentally and emotionally and energetically to be the mother that your baby needs you to be to birth the baby. And I think if you can't surrender into like, okay, I'm craving lots of salt food What else can I have? Because I can't live, like you said, on the salt and vinegar chips every day because my tongue is burnt now. Like like you get to that stage. So I love that. I love that. Anything else you want to say on cravings? One last thing, just with your, I'm really relating to what you're saying about surrender. And I would say that food is such good practice of staying in your intuition as well and practicing not being tied to rules or these are the foods that I need to eat because your hunger might change week to week in pregnancy, the foods you can and can't tolerate and crave. So being intuitive around what do I need, having those sort of thoughts with yourself is amazing practice for your birth, 
for parenthood when there's so many recommendations coming at you, so many decisions. So practicing staying in your own power and your own intuition is only going to serve you. So I really like the way that you said that about surrender. I love that. It's like stick to your own lane. You know, don't drive other people's cars in their lanes. Just stick to your lane. No. One more final question before we get ready to wrap up is, do you have any final concluding tips for eating well? You know, I could say eating healthy, but like define what health is. So eating well to support your body and the growth of the baby during pregnancy. Do you have any like overriding tips that you recommend to current to be growing mums? Yeah, I think one of the things is to have very simple practices that you can put into place no matter what feels tolerable for you in your pregnancy. And so a couple of ways that I like to coach my clients to put together their meals and snacks during pregnancy that's super flexible is to A, start with the protein. It can be anything that you feel like at any meal during the day. So maybe at breakfast, you feel like you're going to start with eggs as your protein, or maybe you're going to do Greek yogurt, or maybe you're not feeling good at all. And you're going to do like peanut butter. And you're just going to have that maybe with some almond crackers. But when we start with the protein, it reframes what happens on our plate and it ensures that we have a solid protein. And that's way better for our blood sugar control and for the nutrients that we're actually getting in. And those two things, if you focus on just that, it will significantly reduce your risks of complications in pregnancy and help you feel better better. So start with the protein, whether that's beans, tofu, lentils, chicken, steak, whatever proteins you like, try and start with that. And then the second thing that I think is very simple and it can absolutely be flexible depending on what you like to eat is try and get at least one color on your plate every single time you eat, whether that's a meal or a snack. If you are really comfortable eating lots of different plants, maybe your goal is three, three different plants every single time. If you're having a hard time, maybe your goal is one. That can be any sort of vegetable or any sort of fruit. And when we have those plants on our plate, we are going to get lots of antioxidants. We're going to get lots of vitamin C. We're getting lots of minerals. We're getting lots of fiber. These things are really beneficial for pregnancy and they can also support you to feel better. They can help your body, for instance, vitamin C, take in more iron from your food. So just try and get some sort of color on your plate at every meal. Start with your protein. It doesn't have to be more complicated than that, especially if you just want to take a step and improve your nutrition. Start there and you're already doing an amazing job. I love these tips because so many people are like, okay, make sure you eat this every day and eat this every day. And don't forget to take this supplement. So confusing, such simple. Yes. It's easy to do. It's easy not to do as well. So the easier it yes. is, to do, the more likely you are to do it. So that's I love it. That. Exactly. Yeah. Start with protein. I'm actually going to adapt that. Thank you. Oh, um, you're so welcome. Lindsay, this has been fantastic. Such a world and wealth of knowledge. I'm so, so grateful. I'm sure people have had their minds little, like little pockets of blown today. How can people connect you to learn more about all of the things that you do, your cookbook and the tips and the, you know, you've got a fantastic Instagram, like Thank you, you really put a lot of effort into that. So I'm really proud oh, of you. Thanks. Um, how can people connect with you? 
the best place to hang out with me and see everything that I'm doing is Instagram for sure. All my links are there. My DMs are always open. So come check me out there. I'm at the.foo.doula. I have lots of great guides to help you get started again with very practical, doable tips. So come over, hang out, send me a message. If you have a question from this interview, like feel free to send it on over to me. Mm, Thank you. I will put all of those links in our show notes. Now, final podcast question for you. What is one thing you wish you knew before entering pregnancy? Oh, so many things. Oh my goodness. If only I knew then what I knew now. I think it's really for me that there is, that I can trust myself. I did not feel that I could trust myself in my first pregnancy and looking back If I only did trust myself, I really think some things could have turned out differently. I think I would have made the decisions that feel more aligned with me. But at that time, I just really didn't have an idea of what trusting myself looked like. I didn't know that that was like legitimate for a lack of a better word. And now I know that it is very true. If I ever had another pregnancy, I know that I would be leaning into that. That is my, I think, big take home message for myself. Mm, hindsight's a magical thing, isn't it? It sure is. <laughs> lovely, lovely. And I, I know that there's going to be lots of other mothers who can rel- relate to that and those who are future mothers who are going to resonate and learn from that. So thank you so much for sharing and being here, Lindsay. I'm so, so grateful for you sharing your time and your wisdom. And it's been such an honor. Oh, same here. I'm so grateful to have this conversation with you. That was so wonderful. So happy you asked me to come on. Thank you so much for tuning into every episode of the Well Woman Podcast. For everything we mentioned in today's episode, you can find this in the show notes over at wellsome.com forward slash podcast. If this episode excited you, please hit follow on Spotify, which means all of my episodes will pop up in your feed weekly so you never miss a weekly drop. I'd love you to leave a review on Apple Podcasts too. Love this episode? Come and follow me over on Instagram at wellsome underscore Gemily. Say hi and share what you've taken away from this episode with me. Now, is there a bestie, sister, or a friend who you know who might be fed up, frustrated, and confused with their cycles? Are they ready to join you in awakening their cyclical essence too? Well, take a screenshot of this podcast episode, share it on your socials, email it, text it, or any way you need to get it to them. So together, we can all live in flow, harmony, and balance with our cycles. Now, until next time, beautiful, get connected, listen to your body, and remember, body confidence all begins with living in tune with your menstrual cycle.